McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to the forecast episode 204. Well, the winning streak comes to end in a spectacular fashion, only for Pompey to bounce back against Burton Albion. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, Hugh. Better than you, I think. What I'm forgetting through the introduction without throwing up, please for you. That's a win. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Yeah, managed to, I think, pick up something at Fratton Park, as I seem to do every few weeks. And uh, then missed the the Burton game through, I don't know what, injury, COVID, sickness, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, Fratton Park is always a good place to go if you want to wake up the next morning in a cold sweat, coughing your lungs out uh, and with a banging headache. So, dreamy week. Missed the Pirelli Stadium, gutted. Yeah, unlucky about that. But, I mean, at the same time, for me not being well, if, if it's the case, the fact that I've got food poisoning from some sushi I've had. I'm not going to be happy with the supplier who bought it in as a treat to say thank you for something else. Maybe they just absolutely hate me and they're like, here you go, here's some sushi. That'd be nice for you, Hugh. I need to sabotage my podcast later on. But talking about sabotaging, there's always a man who's a thorn in my side. Freddie Webb, how are you? Oh, not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, I make, make a meal of everything, really. Um, yeah, the Saturday was awful, but I made myself feel better on Tuesday by having a bovril and keeping an eye on the Burton game while watching United Services Portsmouth against Hamble. They were unlucky to lose 3-2. But anyway, aside from that, enjoying my time off work. It's been quite lush, really. Yeah, none of us acted quick enough to get Northampton tickets, Fred. So instead, as long as we're all well, you're going to make a trip across the country, changing on loads of trains, potentially having a nine or ten hour bus journey, aren't you, to come for a beer in East Grinstead with me and Matt? Yeah, well, well I shouldn't have to do a ten hour journey because thankfully I can get to supposedly get to Clapham Junction without incident. But so fingers crossed, I don't have to go all the way to the ends of the earth to get there, but hey, it should be fun on Saturday anyway. I know some of us are into watching some non-league football as well, but I did go and see East Grinstead play, by the way. I know it's a bit off topic, but their striker is by far one of the worst footballers I've ever seen in my life. Imagine Akin Fenwa who put on 30 stone and then less mobile, only like five foot 10, and I've never seen a man try and score a goal by a cross coming to the box from six yards out. And instead of trying to head it or kick it in really with his knee, he turns around and tries to bum the ball into the goal. So just try and use his ass and let's knock it in only for it to P roll up to the keeper. So if anyone's thinking about, you know, down at Fratton Park on Saturday, just remember you could be an East Grinstead fan. Should we get into what we're doing today? So first of all, we're going to review the magnificent loss to Blackpool. Following from that, we're going to talk about the a little bit more uplifting win against Burton Albion. And then we spoke to Danny from the It's All Cobblers to Me podcast to preview everything about the game away at Northampton on Saturday. Right. Let's get going about Blackpool. Before we get into the who scored what goal when, which we all know is coming, I want to have a little overview of you know what happened, I suppose. It's what I'd like to call at work a wash up. As in, what could we have done better? And I'm feeling in this game, for instance, we all knew that CJ Hamilton and Dale on both sides were going to press really high. Sort of, if you haven't seen it, go and look at Jack Hancock's work he's done looking at how teams are pressing us at the moment. But Andy, do you think it's the fact that without having Regan Paul at centre-back and not being able to sort of pass it out as well, teams are just going to come up to us, no matter if they do press normally this high, and just press us to force us to go long? I think so. And I think it's the common sense thing to do when we're playing less of a ball playing centre-back 
in Sean Raggett rather than Regan Paul. I think that's the sensible tactical decision and we've got to be ready to come up against it. I think the way that Blackpool tactically suited us, as in the way that we lined up suited them is probably a better way of of putting it, is similar to what they tried against Northampton a couple of days after in those diagonal balls to either out towards uh, Sparks or out towards Rafferty and then win that first ball against the right or left back who's not incredible in the air and then have their player there for the knockdown and suddenly you've got a two-on-one against that right back, left back. And it worked really, really well against Sparks throughout the afternoon. And from speaking to Danny from the Northampton pod, obviously they played them a few days afterwards and it sounds like they tried the exact same thing against Northampton Town. Uh, with a, a lot less success, obviously, as Northampton turned them over 2-1. But it sounds like that's just their MO. That's how they play. It just worked well against the players that we had out. I think, yeah, Sparks and Rafferty struggled with that diagonal ball for a lot of the afternoon. Um, it was just a it was a weird Saturday. I kind of got home and just what just happened kind of vibes to it. Like it just didn't really feel like a normal Portsmouth Saturday in the slightest. And not just because we didn't win, not just because we lost 4-0, but just everything about it just felt a bit like no one really turned up. It was it was disconcerting, is that the right word? I don't know. I felt quite disconcerted afterwards, as well as ill. <laughs> yeah, no, it did feel a bit weird. And the game didn't start very well, did it? Eight minutes in, the first goal. Ball goes up to CJ Hamilton on the right-hand side. I pause for a second there as Andy drinks his 0% Prosecco. Thanks, Grass. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> the fans want to know which 0% drinks you're drinking now. You're you're sort of like a, a spiritual leader in that sense, aren't you? For all people not drinking alcohol. Well, I'm a, I'm a spirit-free Yule leader because I don't drink spit. Cool. Um, <laughs> oh, no. That's superb, Mike. I briefly <laughs> forgot this was recorded and I, I regret it hugely. Getting, yeah. back, getting back to the game quickly then. See, Why? Easily, <laughs> easily, get, easily gets around the byline, beats Jack Sparks in that one-on-one situation, puts the ball into the box. And Owen Dale, of course he's there, at the back post to fire home. Freddie, I want to know, first of all, this is a bit of a shambles of a goal. First of all, obviously Sparks gets beaten one-on-one, which is something we sort of highlighted as a potential weakness. And... He gets done very easily, doesn't he, on that side? And secondly, the marking isn't great in the centre, is it, for who's covering Owen Dale? Yeah, none of that was particularly brilliant. And Pompey didn't get a hold of the midfield at all before that. Um, Sonny Carey, who played the very nice ball over to Hamilton on the right-hand side, he had a lot of joy already in the early minutes, had a warning shot. And then he was able to collect the ball nicely on his weaker foot, shift it onto his right and play the ball to Hamilton. And like we said, yeah, Hamilton went past Sparks as if he's nobody there. It was one of the benefits of having wingers as win-backs. If, they're, if you get them in the attacking side of things, it plays really well. But Pompey didn't do a lot to test them defensively, which was a shame. And then, yeah, Dale on the back post on his own. And honestly, if I had a quid every time an ex-Pompey player scored and I bet on it every single time, I'd, I'd be a richer man. But I've never have done, unfortunately. Could we have a executive PO forecast decision on whether or not it is accurate for people to chant your effing useless, we've seen you before, to someone who's already scored against you in the match? I didn't chant it. Uh, I I was confused by it because it was being sung at someone who'd already scored, thereby demonstrating that they have at least some use and, in fact, more use than some of our own players in this particular match. I didn't really think about it at the time, to be honest. I think it was uh, one of those situations where people were going to sing it from the start of the game, no matter what happened. So people even sing it, don't know if they like the player, and then clap him afterwards. It, it does seem to be a, a bizarre thing. I was confused by some of the abuse Owen Dale was getting. Again, I don't know if I've missed something here, but to my knowledge, he did his best for us, not with a huge amount of end result, got recalled and then played against us. And I was surprised by the level of unpleasant abuse I heard him receive from a, a large minority. It was a tiny minority of, of fans, but it was some really personal stuff being shouted. And have I missed something? Or was it just unnecessary? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, he had a 
mediocre at best season for us, and that's about it, really. Um, I don't remember much else about his time, really. But you know what people could be like, I suppose. What I would say with Dale is he actually defensively looked pretty good as a wing back. I thought as well. He registered three tackles in this game. Obviously, he got the goal. I thought he really exceeded my expectations playing in that position. Freddie was talking about getting those wingers as wing backs forward, but I think defensively he did pretty well covering as well. We looked poor. There was obviously space in behind Hamilton and Dale. We just did not exploit it in this game. I thought Josh Martin, Kamara and Lane combination didn't work at all. It almost looked like three sort of wingers just sort of gliding around. There was no focal point from that position there at all. And it just meant we didn't build very well at all. And there's the obvious weaknesses. We knew them before the game. They probably knew them before the game, obviously, as well. It was just a really poor situation where, unfortunately, the wide players managed to get some really good positioning against us, exploit us in behind. And also, we just didn't really win the ball back well in midfield at all. Dougal, Carey and Dembele were all excellent. Kerry and Dougal set a bit deeper. Dembele, I thought, on the ball, looked absolutely outstanding going forward. Yeah, he's a serious player. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, this is just quite a damning game. So let's just get back and get through this, I suppose. Let's talk about the goals. We've got to do that now. So just before that, though, Pompey did work the ball out nicely to Jack Sparks, who put a ball in the box to Bishop. It looked like it was probably going on the money there for Colby Bishop, only for Ekpateta to basically put a sliding challenge in. I've got to say, that was a great save from Grimshaw. That's the kind of thing that when it's not going your way, it's not going your way. And he manages to get down and make the save. Absolute worldy save, wasn't it? Absolute class save. And yeah, I'd say that with sadness, but like being kind of, it's one of those in the fratten end where you just assume that's about to go in the net because the direction of the ball, where the keeper is, I genuinely don't really know how he clawed it away. Even watching the replay back, it's just a really good save. And yeah, one of those days where it goes against you, you know, the keeper makes that save and then the Pompey goal is disallowed from what you know from what I've read from people that were closer to it it was probably a, the right decision to disallow it. it looks like Bishop wasn't ever really going to get away with it um obviously we're about 80 yards away so I can't say for definite but that's what I've seen from people who were seated closer and yeah I mean if the referee blinks when that happens and doesn't see Bishop doing that and our goal goes in then great if you know the keeper doesn't make that incredible save then great and uh yeah then we move uh if we're just doing the goals, we move on to uh, the the second goal scored by someone who wasn't interfering with play. I don't know if you want to lead in on that one, Hugh. So first for me. The second goal was the ball worked on the right-hand side, gets it to Dembele, too much space, not closed down well enough. Pompey seemed pretty concerned about him all game. They backed off him. People didn't put a foot in. Puts the ball on goal. It's a lovely finish, to be fair, but... Is it offside? What do you think, Freddie? Is the player interfering with play? Will Norris seemed to think so. I mean, if it since Jake Beasley was given the goal and for the deflection, and it was in an offside position, and the official after the game said he well, he said he didn't interfere with play, even though it deflected off him, and the goal was given to him, which is very strange. So no, I don't know how they gave that. To be honest, I think if it, it obviously if it doesn't hit Beasley at all when it goes round him, then it's going then wide. It's going wide until it hits him. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I think Pompey are unlucky there. I don't know how the officials actually gave it in the first place. But yeah, he, like you said, Dembele was basically given free roam in and around the penalty area. Probably the best player on the pitch and one of the few players I've seen this season who shouldn't be in League One, to be honest. I don't know. I remember seeing him when he was like 15 at Celtic when he was supposed to be like a wonder kid, like one of the best players to come out and he sort of disappeared a little bit. So yeah, to see him in League One doing stuff like that doesn't surprise me an awful lot but yeah I don't know how the officials gave that that's incredibly unlucky Pompey didn't do enough in the game anyway to deserve any points but when that happens you know it's a, it's a bit gutting isn't it yeah it's not why we lost the game like we lose that game I I mean having said that it's the second goal so you could make an argument that you know butterfly effect I still think more often than not we still don't win this game I don't think it costs us the game but it's an absolute horror show of a decision absolute horror show one of the worst I've seen for a while and then we get another decision that doesn't go away I'd like to know Andy if you think that Pompey should have had a penalty when Kamara skips inside the box cuts across I sort of feel like the player steps into him a little bit Freddie completely disagreed he was raging in this game but at the same time 
I think he got in his way by stepping into him. What do you think? Live, I thought definitely no penalty. I thought Kamara was already starting to go down once there was any contact and it was something he was looking for. That was my instant reaction. And I turned to Will and said, never, absolutely not. Uh, having watched it back from a different angle, maybe you see him given. I still think it's a slightly soft one if it is given. I'd think I'd yeah I'd feel fairly fortunate if we were given it. I I don't think that's a terrible decision from the referee. I think that could go either way. Compared to the the Blackpool second goal, doesn't even register on the crap decisionometer for me. It's it's probably not a penalty. And then obviously we respond to that in the best way possible. With uh, was it 15, 20 seconds later, uh, Morel obviously is fuming about that not being given and flies in with what is. Definitely a second yellow card. I don't think we've got any complaints, have we? Either have you got complaints about either of his cards? No, they were both of them were pretty much stonewall bookings. He doesn't really get the ball in either challenge. He's late on both of them. They're pretty similar in all fact, because the first one the first one he came in on Dougal, when Dougal had already sort of shifted the ball a little bit. And then the second one on Dembele, Dembele had already played the ball in. And yeah, on the penalty shout from the back of the front end, I thought it was definitely not a pen. I thought Kamara was looking for it, saw the defender ran into his leg. Looking at the replay back, I think the only argument is you could tell that Kamara sort of shifts his weight, shifts the ball and shifts his weight onto the right, onto his right. And then the defender commits a little bit. So it's not as if Kamara is running straight at him, at least he shifts it a little bit. But I, I agree with Andy. I think it, if it, it, I've seen them given, as the cliche says, but I still think it'd be quite soft. And then, yeah, Joe Morel, unfortunately, again, just late on Dembele and it's a stonewall booking. And after that, Massinho tried to put the players on to try and get back in the game and it fell miserably, unfortunately. You, what were your thoughts on the red card? Are you on board with the definitely two yellows? Never, never a sending off. No, he's definitely... <laughs> he's definitely got the ball. He got off. the ball in both of them. Exactly. Dive, complete dive. It's definitely a red, yeah, 100%. And then the ball goes back up the other end. CJ Hamilton, we knew he was a danger. You know, he got two assists in this game and a goal. He pulls it inside. He has a shot from distance again. I mean, it deflects, doesn't it, a little bit and goes in. Do you think, Freddie, that he should have got anything on those any of these goals? Uh, for the third one, I thought it was just unlucky because the deflection. I mean, when it deflects as wickedly as that, it goes away from him. So I don't blame the keeper for that, to be honest. Second goal deflected round. Again, like Andy said, the shot was going wide, so I don't really blame the keeper for that either. And Dale for the first was unmarked to the back post, so you'd back any attacking player to score from there, wouldn't you, um, with all that space? And then the fourth goal from Albie Morgan was just a lovely driven finish into the corner, wasn't it? And I think a lot of that was simply down to the Pompey defenders not being tight enough to these players, allowing players like Hamilton and Dembele to have a lot of space outside the penalty area. I know they're technically producing low-quality chances by shooting from there if you're just looking purely at expected goals. But sometimes if you give attacking players with a lot of talent like that so much space, those shots are going to go into the top corner or they're going to be deflected behind. I was very disappointed in how they played defensively, to be honest. And across the pitch, to be fair, I think one of the biggest sins from that game was that that free behind Bishop. I didn't think it worked at all. And then... That basically led to Burrell and Robertson being overrun pretty much. Yeah, there was basically no outlet at all, was there, further up the pitch and we couldn't hold on to the ball. Yeah, it didn't work at all. I don't think there's much more to say, is there, on this one? I just want to forget about it, to be honest. Okay, cool. There's no guess the XG for this one then, Freddie? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Good. I was not looking forward to that. Let's move on to the next game then, Burton Albion. It was quite important that Pompey managed to bounce back after that 4-0 drumming at home. You know, we were always going to lose a game at some point, but that was a quite spectacular way to lose a game. And I think with the injuries we've got at the moment as well, people coming out, we needed a bit of confidence, didn't we? To, to sort of get back on our feet. Obviously, it helped us forward that Bolton drew with Oxford as well. Burton started okay in this game, didn't they, really? And I thought one of the you know early chances, Barr had a long-distance shot. Norris saved it. It wasn't that convincing how he saved it. He sort of pushed it out. Luckily, the ball goes out. I think Rafferty helped see it around. And Steve Seddon has a cross into the box. That's why he's still on the pitch rather than later on. 
to get the first goal. Kamara's taken down. There's a nice ball into the box. This one is a penalty. I'll be interested to see if Andy disagrees that this is a penalty or not, but for me, it's a stonewall penalty and Colby Bishop does what Colby Bishop does, which is score from the penalty spot. Yeah, I think on the on the Norris save, I'll give him a little bit more credit than that. I think that ball moves a lot in the air. I think it's kind of like a knuckleball the way it gets hit. So I think it gets a lot of dip as it comes nearer him. And in that situation, I'd much rather he just get something on it and get some power on it out wide. Uh, on the penalty, yeah, he gets wrong side of Seddon, doesn't he? It's, I mean, they don't even really argue with the decision, which makes me think that we probably shouldn't argue with it either. Uh, it's a nice run. It's a really nice ball through, actually. Um, is it Raggett plays that ball through? Who, who plays yeah, yeah, Ra- yeah, Raggett was basically given a lot of time and space. I was very happy that Pompey were able to play out in this game. Obviously, <clears> Burton <throat> usually playing a low block. So Pompey had more time to play the ball out. Raggett was given a lot of space. And it was a lovely through ball to him, to Rafferty, yeah. who then played the ball across to Kamara. And Kamara just beat Seddon for pace. Seddon was late, sived him down, penalty. That's Pompey's sixth penalty in all comps. And as far as I'm aware, they've converted all of them. So, Point of reference, any other teams, just, just by comparison? Is that uh, why is that? Of, I can find the them. We already lived the league with five, I believe, before that game started. So add another one to it at six, Andy. I don't know. I think I know that we have the most penalties given to us. Cool. Shows that the attacking players are getting in the opportunities to be taken down by defenders, at least. Because obviously you look at the wingers, pure goals and assists, and you think, oh, where's that coming from? But then at least I think mostly it's just the wingers getting into awkward positions for defenders and they're not dealing with it very well. So that was one bonus at least. And yeah, Bishop's record from the penalty spot solid. Um, some people arguing he hasn't been that good because he's only scores penalties. I thoroughly disagree, <laughs> to be honest, because his link-up play is excellent with the wingers and he does so much more than just score tappings and penalties. So no, nice for him to continue with the goal-scoring form before his injury, Any right? Andy, I'd like to hear your opinion on the return of Marlon Pack into the midfield two there. Obviously, when we come on to the Northampton game, we can see how that would help as well. Will Joe Morrell be back for that game? Well, no, he's got another one, isn't he? Two game, red card two game suspension. Yeah, because he's already had a red card. Yep. So I'd like to know what you think about Pack coming into this game and how he affected it and how he played. Yeah, I think it's fortunate timing, honestly, with Morrell being out for two games. I think... If you look at those midfield options without either Pack or Morel in there, there's not really that type of central midfielder who is going to play that sort of pivot rock role in centre midfield. You've got quite you, a few you've, you've got you've got Stevenson, but he won't be Matt Sharp, really. Because yeah, that's a, that's a fair shout, actually. Yeah, Stevenson can do that job, but doesn't have the minutes under his belt. I guess Pack doesn't either at this point. But yeah, I thought for a first full ninety back or for a first starting position back. Pack did a really good job, to be honest with you. And I think we're going to need him to do that again at, against Northampton on Saturday. Because we don't have our regular enforcer in the centre of midfield. And yeah, I think if you take those two out and you say Stevenson doesn't have too many minutes under his belt, you're looking at quite a... All the other centre midfielder options are quite samey, in quite a glamorous way, but quite samey. And what you said earlier about having lots of wingers running around in midfield... Essentially, and all you know, all sprinting around, looking glitzy, but no real focal point to circulate play around. I think there's a danger that that could could have repeated. So, yeah, I thought he came in, did a decent job. Most important thing at the moment is like in a game where we get three points, he got minutes under his belt, didn't uh, aggravate his injury. You can't really ask for any more than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's very composed performance, which I like, which. He will get a lot from Marlon Package. Basically, allows Robertson and Sadie to exploit the positions going forwards because they know they have somebody covering them. And if he does get the ball, he's able to hit on a sixpence to another midfielder. And yeah, I would pretty much have him in the eleven starting if he's fit. He just settles everything down and adds a lot of balance. Yeah, and Pack had the most of the ball as well by just checking out ball possession, who scored across both teams as well. So you can see he wasn't just a bit player in that sense. And I think it's so important. Alex Robertson was talking about how he loves playing alongside Marlon due to the fact he also can do that sort of defensive work, that enforcer work, as well as being a good sort of like short passer to him and being able to, to pass the move. So 
I think it was really important. Let's just get on to the next goal then. I talked about Alex Robertson, who managed to pick up his first goal of the season. Finally, the XG is starting to balance itself out, Freddie. I believe it will balance out for the end of the season. Do you have a bet yeah, on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, after that game, he was on 3.37 total expected goals in uh, in just the league alone. Uh, I'll check what it is average per 90, but no. It was brilliant for Robertson to score, obviously. He deserves it. He's played incredibly well. Probably the third most important player behind Paul and Bishop for the season, you could argue, proved me wrong completely because he's that complete midfielder who can get his tackles in, but also run forward into the attacking spaces, play a range of passing and create dangerous opportunities going forward. And this goal I really liked. The long goal kick actually worked for a change in this time. And Christian Sadie, I know a lot of people just think of him as a sort of vibes player who who comes on and makes an impact from the bench and is very physical and plays a lot of link-up passes. But he did that incredibly well. I think it was Powell he brushed off in the in the build-up. Played the through ball to Kamara, who was actually had a lot of composure to then play the overlapping pass to Rafferty, who then just squares it to Robertson, who's in that lovely bit of space going forward from the midfield. Lovely goal. Gareth Evans-esque, in my opinion. and. Yeah, sort sort of sewed it up for Pompey there, even though Burton had some chances afterwards. A couple of nice points about this, I suppose. Kamara does well after Sadie holds the ball beautifully, uses his strength as well, which is really his one of his biggest strengths. I mean, obviously, use the same word there, but they've been able to suck in players and then lay the ball off into space. Kamara picks the ball up well, has great vision to allow Rafferty to get, feed them the ball very quickly. Late runners into the box. It seems like one of those things we've talked about midfielders throughout the years on the PO forecast, but it's good to see the centre midfielders then getting into the box. A little bit of a late run for the cutback, and it's a goal. Yeah, all right. Let's. What is there else is there to talk about in this game, really? Uh, slight about, ankle injury. Uh, yeah, know, elephant in the room. Yeah, exactly. Colby Bishop injured in this game. Sad times. Pouring some non-alcoholic prosecco out for for one's homie. Yeah, oh, sad. Is in a boot. I do not want to comment on the severity of it, or it will be okay because we did that for Egan Paul. And yeah, yeah. we, we don't, man is we out don't really know. Uh, so far, uh, as of twenty past nine on a, we- a Wednesday evening, haven't seen much else. After Andrew Noon first reported that Bishop's ankle had swollen up after turning it, and saw him in a protective boot. As a precaution, Massinho confirmed that to the news afterwards as well, uh, saying that the, the protective boot was a precaution, but, but but he also said that Bishop's injury doesn't look brilliant. Superb, exactly what we need. And then Andrew Moon said on his Musings audio programme that Bishop went over in, on, on his ankle and was in so much pain straight away that it wasn't even, you know, like an innocuous thing. He sort of able to carry on but was obviously subbed at half time and he added that the swelling on the ankle probably means he estimates that a scan will happen later in the week either on the Friday or the Saturday and Moon assumes that he won't play against Northampton I think that's pretty much a given at this rate and the severity of the injury he doesn't know himself but he said that people rolling their ankles it can range from a few a few weeks at minimum to three months maximum but he's not speculating any anywhere in there um he's just given the injury range of what happens if someone goes over on their ankle i suppose i couldn't but, walk, yeah i couldn't walk for three or four months after snapping my ankle sorry you no just fine i'm saying that could be way longer than that without trying to be the the merchant of doom over here like i i couldn't run on it for about five six months after doing intensive physio i mean i'm not colby bishop man machine but still andy yeah Ankles do tend to swell up and go funny colours, irrelevant of how long the outlook is going to be. Having said that, I mean, ankle sprain, ankle strain, it's such a broad definition. And I don't want to story top Hugh here, but I mean, I've done mine, my right ankle, I've snapped it twice. One of them I was out for over 12 months, although that was partially because it got misdiagnosed. I ended up having surgery on it, etc., and the other one, I'm still waiting to get completely sorted. And it's been, again, eight to 12 months. But that is without a football club subsidising my private health care. So, yeah, 
again we'll, don't we'll have a, to find we'll have to just wait with bated breath i suppose yeah i don't want to be a sort of a, a naysayer of doom or a harbinger of doom whatever it's called but i think that's the second time i've used that phrase in the podcast harbinger of doom in about three weeks i didn't even know i knew the phrase it you know ankles it can be two to four weeks it could also very easily be multiple multiple months uh so i don't think there's a huge point speculating at this moment in time because we just at the time of recording don't have the information he's not going to be fit for Northampton there's zero literally zero percent chance if he's gone down in that much pain even if it's not a severe ankle injury the swelling won't have come down enough to an extent for it to be pain-free by Saturday it's literally zero percent chance I mean on the plus side I fell off a curb whilst watching Netflix walking down the road I was just watching TV walking down the road on my phone, as you do. I mean, I live in the middle of the countryside, so there's there's no one going to mug me if my noise cancelling headphones on. Just strolling down the road, watching Netflix, and obviously I don't realise the pavement dips in someone's driveway. I slip off it, I twist it, and I've, I've bruised the bone on it. Now, that is basically, well, I could walk on it after a few weeks, and although I could actually, I can exercise on it now, it is still one of those things where if someone kicks me in it, it still fucking hurts. So, I mean, that's that's my only problem, I suppose, with these sort of injuries in the fact that they can be re-aggravated. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, let's, let's try to be positive about this and say that he's back in a few months at best. Say he's back in a few months at best. Does that I, mean... Honestly, I'd be very surprised like stunned if we at see him best. before yeah at i'd best. be i'd be stunned if we see him before new year i i'm certain we won't and i think realistically i i just said it's pointless speculating but now as is my one as I'm he gonna, speculates <laughs> i'm gonna speculate as much as i want to uh so yeah i'm gonna go let's all guess how long he's gonna be injured for what a fun game no i realistically even best case scenario it's gonna be probably six, eight weeks, I'd imagine. I'm just going to ignore it and pretend everything's fine when it, when it clearly isn't. Get your head uh, out of the sand, Freddie Webb, and let's I have know, a discussion I then know. about this because there's not a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah, Steve Seddon got sent off for kicking Kamara in the head. Oh, well, who cares? Yeah, but well, talking... that, that was Stonewall, wasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, so talking back on this point, I want to know, Andy, the speculating king... Who do you put up front to replace Bishop and how do you work the ball around them? So are we just going to stick with one up top? Is it a direct thing? You know, someone was talking about putting Sadie up front. I'm not too keen on that idea at all. Let's go route one. Let's get Raggett up there. Let's bang balls up to him. What are you saying? I mean, it's much easier to say what I don't think we should do rather than what we should do. Uh, definitely not on board with the putting Sadie up top. I think he's demonstrated repeatedly now that he works best as a 10 uh, for me. And I think, oh, I just remember that we're potentially losing Robertson and Yangi in January as well. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, because the Asian Cup, yeah, if both of them are called up, then I think it could last from like the beginning of January to like mid-February, I think. If, I mean, we just need two other people to get, oh no, is it one other person to get called up and we can just refuse to play any games because of having three international call-ups <laughs> for six weeks. We can oh, just God. not play from January till late it, Feb. That'd be it's great. Gonna be a, it's going to be a massive January transfer window, honestly. Yeah. It's going to be on Paddy Lane, Terry Devlin, point. Northern Ireland become my second team as both of them get called up to the senior side, giving us four players out. <laughs> I just haven't answered your question at all there. No, uh, I think Thanks for now for you have to put you have to put the trust in uh, Yangi. I think I don't see what other choice we really have. I mean, I, are there are that many other options that are viable? If you're well, you're not trying to do what you know, doing a Kenny Jacket or a Danny Cowley and putting one of your wingers up top, you're not shoving Paddy Lane or Abu Kamara up top like you did with sort of Ronan Curtis and Harness for a bit. Then. Uh, kind of limited for our options here lads to be honest with you what are you doing other than Yengi yeah I think Yengi's the only option and yeah I don't I don't agree with playing your wingers up front unless it was the the John Marquis Ryan Williams combination which worked for about two games way back when since Yengi's the outside striker he's the only option you have you play him and I thought Sadie he played well enough in this Burton game to probably deserve a chance against Northampton as the attacking midfielder since you're playing one up front and consider, considering that Yangi's more of a raw striker and more of a penalty box threat, you de definitely need a link player between the two in midfield and the wingers and the striker. 
So you have to play someone who's physical, who's going to get about a bit, who's going to put tackles in, and Yengi and Sadie fits that incredibly well. So I think that's the combination that you simply have to go with until January. And then even if Bishop is out for a few months, I think the club have to go after a striker now. You can't leave it as it is. Because even if it's, again, best scenario, if it is two months and he's Bishop sort of back at the new year, it'll probably take him another few weeks afterwards to get running again. That means you've got now until the new year with Yengi starting. Will he be as effective being playing week in and week out in the Football League? We're not sure. So you have to have another option in because I don't think Sadie works up front. He he offers too much in other areas of the pitch to play him up front, in my opinion. And I think you'd only play him up front if you've got no other option and you want to fit other midfielders in, to be honest. Other option is we give Colby Bishop one of those injections that worked so well for Zach Swanson and Tom Lowry and then and uh, Connor Ogilvy and Connor Ogilvy oh, sorry, maybe it wasn't Zach Swanson yeah it was yeah, Ogilvy I think it was Ogilvy it? yeah get no, those it... needles away from my Colby Bishop right <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> those Dr Nick injections uh shout out Hancock analysis for, for I think he posted the Dr yeah, Nick he did Nick. yeah well I have reminded me at that time <laughs> I know Andy says sources say that Pompey are interested in John Marquess coming back to the club. He's only got a couple of goals, I know. Two goals, one assist. Missed so a last minute. He missed a last minute one-on-one for Bristol Rovers last week to, or on Tuesday night. Uh, so they conceded late against Leighton Orient and then Marquess had a one-on-one in like the 97th minute or something. And rather than burying it bottom corner, tried to chip the keeper who just saved it. And uh, it did not go down well with the gas fan base. So they're, you know, they potentially wouldn't be upset if we picked him up. I would be, but the gas fans would be quite happy. I think there are other options out there, to be honest. Yeah, um, think. I, I, I hope so. Anyway, um, I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, apart from the the dream, which is put Sadie out front, right, and then drop Marcus into ten. But in in a more in a more serious note, people are going online. They're like, okay, we need to get Al Had Al Hamadi from FC Wimbledon. We need to do this and that. He's going to the championship, was- surely. <laughs> I always thought he was going to go to the championship, but you know, are we going to go out and sign a flagship big transfer player, Andy Mitchamore? I genuinely thought he'd already gone to the championship. So that's news to me that he's still at Wimbledon. Fair play. Okay. How about uh, we get him with a a partial loan return of Riley Towler as per the original rumor? That could work. I can see a deal in the making. No, I think. I'm I'm not one of those people that's like they need to put their money where their mouth is as owners, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I stand by that. But with the club where they are, you know, when is when is there going to be a better opportunity for us to get promoted into the championship? Next year, realistically, League One is going to be stronger. I know we've we've said that on previous episodes, and it is it's just true. This is the best opportunity we're going to have to get out of the league for the foreseeable, as far as I'm concerned. And assuming we're still around about at Christmas, New Year, there's so much of the season to go. I have a bad feeling that Bolton are just going to stroll off into the sunset a little bit and we're going to have to try and keep onto their heels. But I think realistically, if we're looking at that second promotion spot or even winning the league, there's going to need to be a statement signing be it at center back to replace pool or up top if it turns out the bishop is out for a longer longer period of time i don't see how we maintain the league position without that if i'm honest because without those players we've got a good squad we don't have an incredible squad with those players we have an incredible squad for me yeah we've lost our best two players to injury and at least one of those positions i think in my opinion at center half you have to bring in a big ticket player in my opinion just to be able to maintain things and if you can't and the Blues don't get priority for example it, it feels very much like like 18-19 vibes where we're top, where we're up there and doing very well then we got January where we have to replenish the team for injuries and if we don't do it properly we've seen what happens when you know, you bring in reinforcements that either aren't good enough or take too long to kick on, for example. The season can go away from you and then suddenly you're just in a playoff spot rather than an automatic. So, no, I think 
the big ticket player to bring in has to be at centre half. And that's not a Christmas criticism of Sean Raggett's performances recently. He played well in the Burton game, didn't play well in the Blackpool game, but nobody did. But he had to play, he had to have a ball playing centre half for the way that Pompey play properly and to control possession, in my opinion. And if you want a stop grab striker just to start until Bishop is fit, if Yangi isn't good enough yet, then that's the case. You have to get a striker who fits that mould on, on loan, somebody who can hold the ball up a little bit, but can also link up play, has a little bit of pace about them to get into the box and get in those spaces to defenders. It's a massive January. And it's <laughs> we thought it was a massive January originally when Paul was injured. It's now even bigger. So no, uh, all, all eyes on the board, unfortunately, for this one. Fred, do you think when we're looking at strikers to bring in in potential, it's going to be something like you mentioned then more of a, a loan signing on a striker. It's quite difficult sometimes to get a player out on loan in January. Do you do it in a way that you, there's a player doing well on loan who potentially playing for a smaller team or from a lower league. It's not always that easy, is it to get a team, a player in January on loan or does the club think, okay, we need to spend some money. Hopefully it's an investment. They go out and get, I don't know, off the top of my head, Macaulay Langstar from Notts County or or someone like that who's renowned for being a bit of a finisher. You know, what's the avenue here for how Rich Hughes is going to approach this? Well, it's, it's hard to sign a player full stop in January. I think we've seen over the past January windows, it's hard to recruit in January just because of the players who aren't available or have already settled down at other clubs. I think Richard Hughes will see it as a case of Bishop, well, presumably he'll come back and when he does, he will be the starting striker because he has been for the past season and a half. So in his mind, he's going to probably bring in somebody as the stopgap. In that case, players are more likely to come up in the loan market rather than spending money on a striker who you, who's going to end up being the backup striker later on. Whereas at centre-half, you could argue that that big ticket centre-half who comes in can play alongside Regan Paul afterwards. So no, I think that's how I see it going. If it, but it's incredibly hard. Andy, got any more points on this before we move on? No, I don't think so. Let's uh, let's crack on. All right, let's move on. We spoke to Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me to preview everything on the game against Saturday against Northampton, a rising Northampton who've won three games in a row. We talk about how they lined up against Blackpool, how they did things potentially better to get that win, a potential change in the way they press, and how the weaker Pompey can exploit some of their weaknesses. So here's Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me podcast. All right, I'm here with Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me. And Danny, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Good to have you back in. Well, good for us to be back with you, I guess, now at this point. <laughs> yeah, I said the same to the Blackpool podcast, but as a jest last week so and it was great to have you guys back down don't quite feel the same now but we'll get on to how you guys did against them which is obviously better than we did but just to, just to roll it back a little bit at the start of the season what was the feeling around the club at Northampton what were the expectations was it just stay up or you know what did the fans feel yeah essentially it's stay up this season like we've been um up and down so much the last few years that we just like we want a little bit of stability we we keep coming to a point where we go up and players managers leave like our best players get picked off and you just go straight back down again um we had an awful season in covid when we came up and just you know we might have had one fairly decent tuesday night in covid <laughs> during that time um but um but yeah i mean john brady just didn't have enough time or, or whatever to to get us back up and we just seem to be in a in a loop of going up and down and we just need a little bit of stability and just to get just to kind of stay up the first season and build from there really it's so the expectation really is anything above the relegation zone is a decent season for us so you're a bit like the rotherham town but one league further down just bouncing yeah, exactly. between yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in terms of player turnover then coming up this season obviously sam hoskins feels like he's been with you forever that's the name that jumps out mm. that we're really familiar with mm. how much of that squad from the promotion season has been retained have you brought any any players in that pompey fans would be aware of uh, I mean, I wouldn't, there's probably not a lot of players that you'd be aware of, <laughs> if I'm honest. You're I mean, vastly it's... underestimating the... Freddie's absolute geekiness for League One and League Two <laughs> trivia. So he might be the man who does, who does recognise them. 
I mean, the other one that's been around a long time is Sean McWilliams. It's been, it's probably a name we've recognised from team shoots over the years. He's been with us, came through Academy, he's been with us a fair amount of time. Um, Lee Burge has been in League One a little bit with the likes of Sunderland, Coventry, things like people like that. So he's in goal. I'm not sure if, I don't think he'll be back by Saturday. He's out injured at the minute. Um, but for the most part, we've retained a lot of the squad from last season. It's one of the big things about the summer was just, keep what we've got we signed a lot of players we've had a, a sort of change in transfer policy the last couple of years and like tying contract tying players down to contracts to try and keep hold of them or if they do go they you know they're going to be needed to be paid for um time and dance too like hoskins has signed two three-year deals the last few seasons just to keep him rolling on and that seems to have worked quite well we've brought back loan players kieran bowie's come back from he was on loan last season he's come back on loan again this season from fulham mark leonard as well from brighton he was on loan last season again come back so there's a massive sense of continuity from this squad there's not an awful lot of change since last season we've had a, a couple of tweaks here and there um but for the most part it's a similar squad similar starting 11 that, that got us up in the first place and it seems to have worked well so far are you pleased that Northampton finally got that bit of continuity? Because it must get frustrating to, you know, get behind a team and a set of players for ages, but then just think, oh, God, they're going to be all gone at the end of the season for various reasons. Yeah, essentially, yeah, that's that's what it is. And players' contracts run out the last time we went up. I think we lost pretty much our entire defence last time we came up just because end of contracts. Um, a couple of them were on loan and just didn't come back. Um, a couple of players that went to loans higher up. So, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have that sense of continuity. And I think the players and staff just went through a lot the last couple of seasons. I don't know how much you know about the the famous sort of Bristol Rovers 7-0 that stopped us from going up when, when we were... Um, we were beating Barrow at the same time thinking that was enough and they've gone and scored seven and we've had to regroup, come back up again and, and go again. And we, there's, a, there's a couple of things happened at the club over last season that's just been horrendous for the staff and players. So it seems to all be a really kind of strong collective unit at the minute to, that they've all come up together. And there's obviously that environment where people are wanting to stay now, whereas before there might not have been a, as much of a pull to stay. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, that uh, Bristol Rovers final day of the season is unfortunately etched on our memories as well. I think most football fans were probably cheering on the team that wasn't managed by Joey Barton. I would imagine <laughs> on that day it was a bit <laughs> bit underwhelming for all of us. Last time out, uh, you are coming off the back of a, a 2-1 win at Blackpool. And mm. that was, to be honest, fairly surprising, I think, for, for most yeah. Pompey fans, bearing in mind... We were turned over 4-0 by them at Fratton Park the week before or the game day before. And to be honest with you, they were extremely good value for the win. How was that game? I mean, normally they're good at home, awful away, but they've turned us over away and then lost to you at home. So they've kind of flip reversed it. So what was the game like? Yeah, it's mad. He kind of sums up League One, doesn't it, the minute that, that that kind of thing can happen. And as football fans... As Blackpool fans, I saw a lot of comments after the weekend saying, you know, the, the thing that will happen now is we'll, we'll go and end Portsmouth's unbeaten run and then we'll go and lose to Northampton at home. And like, even us, like, we, we wouldn't have gone there with, with a chance. I don't think we've, any of us went up there thinking we were going to win. I thought we all went there thinking if we can get two points from this week, great. That'd be a great result, great return after two or three wins on the bounce. Um, so more in hope than expectation last night, but we just went and attacked them. It was really, different to what we've done before in terms of going and facing these big teams like the Derby we've gone and got turned over 4-0 a few weeks ago um, and just didn't turn up at all um, last night we've gone there and we've attacked from the first whistle we've gone and got in their faces we've pressed and I think we've surprised them a little bit I think they might have been a, a, expecting us to sit off and try and pick them off but we've actually gone and try and gone toe to toe with them which is which is brave I thought last night considering some of the attacking talent they've got the um, in their in their squad and they, I think they've pretty much named an unchanged team from the weekend, which might have played into it a little bit. Um, but I think we've just gone and gone and shocked them. And it was a cracking night, a superb performance. Well, it's probably the best of the season, I'd say, so far. Um, and it's just given us that little bit of breathing space to come into Saturday now a little bit. With, you know, with a, obviously a game against you guys, it's it's not exactly a free hit, but it's one that's got less pressure on than it would have done, given that we've gone and got that uh, such a massive result on Tuesday night. Looking at the way you play, it's interesting you say about you guys pressing because looking at his own to control, etc. Opta, you seem to allow teams to have possession out wide, even in your own half, and control the centre of the play. Against Blackpool, did that change then? Did you decide to get on the front foot? Your pressing stat seems to look like you sort of control the ball in the centre, play through, and then hit on the counter attack. Is that a fair assessment of how you usually play? Yeah, Would you expect it, to do that? 
It has been the last sort of few, start of the season with, with one of the massive changes we've made is push Mark Leonard forward. So Leonard, who I spoke about earlier on loan from Brighton, he has been playing in a more of a holding position in midfield. So he's the one that makes everything tick. So everything would go through him centrally. He'd get the ball from the back and start thing, start attacks off, which is fine. He's great. He's got quality in it. Uh, Jack Sowerby came back into the team about two or three weeks ago now. Um, he's gone into that drop deeper midfield role, which meant Leonard can go forward into the 10. And that's given us a lot more press going forward. It's given a lot more impetus going forward. It's given us a lot more quality on the ball going forward. It just, everything changed as soon as that one cog of Jack Sowerby went in there. And, and Sowerby, if you know him, it's not, it's not someone who's going to pull up trees. It's not someone who's going to stand out in a squad in a starting 11, but he is someone who's going to do all the dirty work and he's going to allow players to flourish. He, he gets that like gets the best out of players like Leonard out of Hoskins who allows them to play just because the little things that he does and that might be why it changed a little bit why it has been changed in the last few weeks because he's just been able to be part of the attack rather than starting the attacks and it's just a slight tweak that's made such a big difference the last two or three weeks How does the team look defensively then um, setting up you spoke about the midfield and going forward earlier Is the, how does the defence deal with a high pressing team like Pompey were they able to handle it alright? Yeah, it, I mean, I don't think we've come up with massive amounts of high pressing teams. We we tend to be doing better. We, we've been without John Guthrie, who's our main sort of captain centre back for the last four or five weeks now. Um, Jordan Willis has come in on um, on a sort of short term deal. He's done really well. Sam Sherwin's doing really well as well. So we've as long as those two stay in there, we seem to do all right. Aaron McGowan's come back into the team. He's got a lot of experience um, and he's led the team in Guthrie's absence, basically. He's kind of organised the back line and stuff. Um, so, we, we, yeah, we seem to do all right. Uh, as long as we don't have to bring Manny Monty in in terms of a high press, then we'll be all right, I think. Because <laughs> any high press against him, he's got legs of jelly. So he... It could be interesting if if he gets a high press against him. But I swear, Pompey was all in for Manny Monfe years and years ago. I think yeah. when he played for Tranmere, and Correct. the rumours of him bringing in, I think he had a, like a stellar season and did all right, and then left Tranmere and sort of went off the boil a little bit. So, mm. what if, has he been able to start a lot recently, or is he no, been not really? No, it's been mainly on the bench. He started the season a little bit in a three. We. We try, we try and keep him in a three if he does play when we've been playing in the back four the last few weeks, um, because in a three he just can be protected a little bit more. <laughs> he's just he's one of these players. He's just he's all legs and no. I don't know what he does, but he sometimes he gets he gets out of positions. He just worries you. He's one of them defenders who will just panic you every time the ball goes near him. And he is a decent defender, but <laughs> he just makes you panic. So he's been bringing. He's basically been coming on for the last five minutes to protect leads. And even then, it starts to give you a little bit of panic late on. <laughs> but I'm, he, he's decent. Interesting to look at how you guys play. I know Hoskins, from what I've seen, likes to sort of cut inside and shoot. I'm guessing he's yeah. right-footed then from the left-hand side. Yeah. Is that the same with Leonard? Does he do that as well, making you you're fairly narrow in the centre with both wingers trying to, to come inside? Or, or is Leonard more likely to hug the, the touchline and put crosses into the box? Yeah, no, both wingers will come inside. So we've got Hoskins on one side, Pinnock on the other. They'll both they're both kind of invert from from either flank. So they'll both try and cut inside. Um, Leonard will sit there in the number 10 role at the moment and try and thread the balls through, try and link the play up a little bit. And it seems to be working pretty well at the moment. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's one of these games that Pompey have always historically struggled against teams that play quite narrow. So mm. I'd be interested to see if we can try and get our fullbacks forward and then try and pin you in, which is what we'll we'll try and do. As far as like McGowan or whoever's playing on the you know a right back and, and then looking at left back as well, uh, would they try and get forward as well to provide the width if you if your wingers are quite narrow? Um, they haven't been doing an awful lot. They'll get forward as much as they can. We'll have um, it'll either be Patrick Bruff or it'll be um, Aki Odimayo on the left. Bruff kind of pulled out last minute uh, on Tuesday night. Um, Odimayo came in, did a really good job. Um, they'll get forward as a little bit, but it was, it's not like they're bombing forward all the time. It'll, it'll be more of a case of take the chance when they can. One of them will go and one of them will stay kind of thing. It, it won't be kind of high intensity fullback play, if that makes sense. It'll, yeah. This is all sounding like very generally positive for Pompey. And I remember doing similar when we previewed playing you last time in League One. It was all, I think you were in a terrible run of form, looking like relegation candidates. Yeah. <laughs> we were at the top end of the table and we did this very positive preview and then we got turned over 4-0. So hopefully we're not going to go down that same route again. <laughs> uh, in terms of, yeah, you're, I guess how you're going to line up in this game, 
just looking at your away form for the season, that Blackpool win is the only away win you've got against a team who aren't in the relegation zone yeah. at the moment. So away form has been an issue uh, with the exception of last time out. Are you expecting the way the team lines up to be a, pretty much the similar, the approach, because you found a, a formula that worked against Blackpool and it's going to be stuck with? Or are you expecting a little bit of a different approach to the game? Yeah, I mean, we haven't. I don't think we've changed all season. Really, like, win, lose, or draw, we still come back in a in a similar kind of system, similar outlook. Like, we don't usually get too excited if we win. We don't usually get too downbeat if we lose. Well, some fans do, but you know, that's just football in it. Um, but we'll um, we'll approach every game the same. I, I'm guessing it's the, there's only been, I'd say, like two or three times this season where we properly haven't turned up. There was one at Port Vale, one at. Derby. There was a first half at Bolton. There was, I mean, it's, it's been rare, um, and we've been in most games. We've been competing in most games, and that's what we'll try and do and and see what happens. It, it, the, the game against Plapple just completely threw me on Tuesday because I kind of looked at it and thought we're going to go there and you know sit back and let the game happen to us. But what we did was was like completely out of the blue, go and really compete with a really good side, um, and that's hopefully what we can do on Saturday. Is is going face up and some of like quite a few of our players will fancy that challenge about against about you know facing a massive club in yourselves. Hmm. And Achilles heel, anything you can identify? Um I think if you go ahead it might be quite difficult to get back into it. It's a derby we just collapsed uh when they scored a couple of goals. It just completely folded Bolton scored a couple in quick succession as well. So I think if you get ahead uh, if you get a couple of goals ahead, we'll find it really difficult to get back in a game. It just seems to be a mentality thing sometimes. If we can get on the front foot and get a goal ahead, or if we hold you to a nil-nil, um, sort of going late on the go- in light in the game and try and nick one like we did against Peterborough, um, then we will have a chance. I think the longer the game goes nil-nil, the, the better. But I think if you get a couple of goals early on, it's going to be really a real struggle for us mentally to get back into it. Yeah, just looking yeah. at the stats supporting that, the... You've conceded the lead to an opponent 11 times this season and only equalised twice. That's that's a really damning statistic to support your point there. Is that is that just a mentality thing or is that a fail, uh, failure to adapt? Um, it's difficult to say, really. I mean, we don't, we don't seem to be... A, we don't have massive amounts of threat in the sort of number nine position. We don't have a natural goal scorer from that. It was weird to say with Hoskins 11 goals, but we don't have a kind of central striker that scored a lot of goals. So we haven't got that kind of outlet who we know we're going to rely on up top um hoskins is the main one we rely on um but I don't, yeah i don't really know what it is we 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 have been in a lot of the games it's just when we go behind it's it's when we when we when we're in the middle of the table kind of thing it almost works against us because it, it feels to me from that i'm sure it's not like so it feels from the outside like we're a little bit comfortable and when we get closer to the relegation zone it's when we start to kick into gear a little bit more um whether that whatever that is, I don't know, but it's it seems to be we need the <laughs> we need the danger of it a little bit. All right. Let's wrap this up quickly because I know Andy's gonna go on your podcast as well. So let's have a score prediction, please, for the game and any goal scorers. Uh, I think it's gonna be goals. I feel like you score a lot of goals from a lot of different places and things like that. And we've obviously got two of the top scorers in the league as well, going head to head. Um there's definitely goals in there. I'm gonna go for an optimistic 2-2 and I think we'll be really happy with that as Cobblers fans you're looks about like to be Bishop, look like, uh, looks like Colby Bishop's going to be out injured he's wearing a boot oh, after the game so we haven't actually heard what the injury news is yet but okay. unless you guys have heard it in the last half an hour but as far as we're concerned Colby Bishop won't be playing that's good chance, news for you guys so chance for Sam then chance for Sam to overtake him there you go but yeah 2-2 <laughs> sounds good yeah um, I'll go for that I still, th- I still think there's goals in you I've been watching a lot of your highlights and stuff and there just seems to be goals flying in from everywhere so I definitely feel like it's going to be one of them games nice one Danny can you tell everyone where they can find your podcast and if anyone out there in the world wants to listen to Andy with you <laughs> yeah so it's um, it'll be at Cobblers to me on all the socials um, or X whatever it's called these days it's uh, yeah just at Cobblers to me uh, come and give us a follow we'll talk about the game on Tuesday as well we'll release our main pod on Tuesday with our reactions to that Amazing. So, Pompey fans, if you want to go and hear about Blackpool losing a game and maybe sort of like try and get some therapy there, go and have a listen to that as well. <laughs> nice one. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate you on the podcast. Cheers, all. All the best. Thanks, Danny, for coming on the podcast. Boys, this is not an easy fixture. And when I looked at it on paper... 
I was flicking through the fixtures a few months ago and I thought Northampton, this should be one we can get three points. And I put a little tick next to it and I thought three points in the bag. And this game is not as easy, is it? Especially away from home against a team with a bit of confidence who obviously just beat Blackpool 2-1 as well. And seems to be a team who will cut inside and shoot, run at our centre-backs as well. That does cause me some cause for concern. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a it's a really nice representation of what League One football is like, isn't it? That we have that really long unbeaten streak, lose to Blackpool at home, and then a few days later, Blackpool get turned over by Northampton Town, who have got generally a fairly poor away record in the league. I think I said on the interview that they've only beaten away from home other teams who are currently in the relegation zone in League One. So their overall away form has not been brilliant. So it's very, very League One, isn't it? And it's certainly not going to be a comfortable game. They're coming in, as you say, three wins on the bounce. Good amount of form in the bank, potentially thinking they found a formula that works, playing against teams who are going to try and play a more open game, as you'd, you'd think Pompey are likely to. So, yeah, certainly not going to be an easy game. The, Sam Hoskins is a very dangerous forward player, has got that moment in him that can take a game away from you. And you'd say, looking at the injuries we've got, this is, for them, they're going to see this as as good a time to be playing us as, as any. This is probably the the best time to be playing us for a fair while from an opposition point of view. So, yeah, nervous and uh, slightly apprehensive to be honest with you for this one, it's, it's not going to be an easy game. Not, not an easy place to go. Fred, when we're looking at this fixture, do you think that we line up in the same way we did against Burton? We just swap in Yang E for, for Bishop and we go again? Or do you think there's any changes we make? Is, does Paddy Lane come back in? Do we know about him from an injury news basis? Or put Kamara back on the left, put Lane on the right? Yeah, I haven't seen any injury updates on Paddy Lane when I was looking up. I'd only seen ones from about Tom Lowry saying he's getting there with his fitness and out on the grass again. Anthony Scully also getting back training as well, but obviously still a fair way away from actually coming back properly. There's also Gavin White's um, personal matter or family or family incident, according to John Massino. So we still don't know if he's actually back either. It might just be a case of going with the same team just for a limited personnel. I think if Lane's fit, you start him at right wing. And then you just move Kamara to the left because they're your strongest wingers at that point. Like I said earlier in the show, Sadie, I think, did enough in the Burton game to start and you need that physical presence because the main way to stop Northampton's wingers getting a lot on the ball and run, running into the into the gaps between the centre-halves and the full-backs is to control possession. And I think Pack and Robertson can do that very well. And then Sagi can win the ball up in the high areas. And yeah, Yangi up front because he's your only other... Striker, it's a shame that Pompey seem as depleted as they are. And yeah, it seems like it's got one one draw written all over it, really. Getting in there early with his school prediction. So we're going to get copyright struck with that phrase, Tom. We can't steal. It's got one all written all over it. No, it's not as catchy, is it, to be honest? It's a bit no, duller. Saturday against Blackpool did have 4-0 written all over it, so I hope he capitalised on that. It's probably not the intent, sort of the end result he wanted when he came up with the show name. But Exactly, Pompey just had the, the worst team just keep losing 4-0. That'd be great if that's, what, that's the reason why he came up with it, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, Tom's doing some great work. Right, let's get into it, boys. Andy Mitchmore, want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers? Well, I'm fuming at Fred. I just predicted one all on their podcast, but I don't want to copy the same as Fred. So I'll go with a 2-1 Pompey win. I think I mean, if we score first, that stat that I mentioned during the interview, if we score first, you'd say that they're unlikely to come back and get anything from the game. So yeah, I'll go with a 2-1 Pompey win with goals from Robertson because now he's scored one. They're just He's going to become the, the midfield Erling Haaland. Of, Haaland? That's the very posh Haaland. Uh, the midfield Erling Haaland of League One. So one for Robertson. That was a mouthful. I'm tired. And we'll go with one for Sean Raggett. Why not? It's happening. Believe. Put all your money on it. How about you, Hugh? I'm going to go with a 2-0 Pompey win. Goals from Yangi to silence the doubters. And my boy Alex Robertson. I completely agree. 2-0 Pompey. Early goal. Buck the trend. 
And then the goal later on, where Northampton have to chase it a little bit, put men forward, only for a nice, easy tap in from Alex Robertson. All right. Yeah, with my prediction, I back Yengi to score as well. Um, I hope the science is the doubters. I know it's easy looking at it, thinking, oh, Bishop getting injured and playing a, a striker who's had some minutes, but then knocked with the injury. But no, fingers crossed that it all goes well for him when he starts, presumably. I know people are now thinking the podcast is finished, but I do want to say with Yangli, it can work in the middle because we do have the wide players who do put a lot of balls into the box for him. And for when he, when he has scored goals for us coming on, he has looked like a pretty capable finisher. So I just think people need to calm down a little bit. Let's see how things play out for the next so many weeks because... Look, Colby's a massive miss, but if we can get chances around Yangi, get the wingers forward, get balls into the box like we've been doing, there's no reason why he can't start picking up goals as well. And other people are going to have to try and chip in, but I'm going to try and be a bit positive here. Let's not panic after I just spent 10 minutes talking about potential replacements and the need to bring in a flagship striker. But there is a way that this works out pretty well. And we're all thinking, okay, we can manage this. I still think we need backup in that sense, but it's going to be a very interesting last month where we see what kind of player Yengi is, really. All right, just before we go, if you want to go listen to Andy's life story about how he became a Portsmouth fan, go and check out their podcast. Go listen to Danny's interview with Andy because you'll find out all kinds of different things through this growing up as a child, uh, how he became a Portsmouth fan, his first ever Portsmouth game. What kind of school clothes he wore. Um, that's problematic. I, I didn't. I wasn't on the podcast. You just wrote down a list of things that you mentioned as well when you were there. I <laughs> know. Uh, for context, I was expecting the first question to be like, so how's Pompey's season been? But it was actually, when did you start supporting Pompey? What was your first game? And I just had to completely think on the spot because that was a really long time ago now because we are getting old. So, yeah, put me on the spot. I think I got it right. But, uh, yeah, if you want to listen to me say a lot of the same things that I've just said on this podcast, but to uh, an equally friendly host from uh, from another football club, then, uh, yeah, check it out. And lastly, a bit of housekeeping. Thanks to everyone who has shared their Spotify-wrapped things on Twitter for us. We appreciate it. It's awesome you listen. And it's even awesomer. Is that even a, a phrase? Well, it's even more awesome if you share it online because, yeah, we get giddy about it. That's cool. We appreciate it. All right. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. No worries, mate. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for the Apple iTunes reviews. We've had a couple more come in that have been like, I presume five star because the average hasn't gone down. So that's good. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, the buy me a coffee stuff as well is very, very much appreciated. So thank you to everyone who's been contributing on there. We are genuinely grateful and you really don't have to do it, but it's really nice when the odd person does. So thank you. Yeah. And if you do listen to the show and you want to just whack that five stars, press it, then we appreciate it. Freddie Webb. Always a pleasure, mate. Oh, always nice to be on the show and yeah, concur on the point that Hugh said about the Spotify raps. It's very surreal seeing our podcast with randomly the diary of the CEO and other random podcasts like that. But no, uh, that's very appreciated. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'll try not to panic about Colby, Colby Bishop news until next week. Honestly, I'm sure that the people who do the podcasts like diary of a CEO and my dad wrote a porno and all that stuff are equally thrilled to be on a listing with the PO forecast. I'm sure it's a, a two-way street on that one. They're welcome. All right. And until next time, that Pompey. You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!